You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience and artist intended to demystify and celebrate the classical music and opera art form. My name is John Jacob. The Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast is available on Spotify, iTunes and Audio Boom. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the series via your preferred app so you'll get an alert every time a new podcast is published. This podcast is also a mild but pleasurable labour of love for which any support you can provide would be very much appreciated. To contribute to its ongoing development, visit thoroughlygood.me and click on the donate button. I've got to eat after all. Hello, podcast number 32 spotlights a new release on Signum Classics entitled If. It's the latest release by the Concert of Viles fretwork and celebrates the 75th birthday of the composer Michael Nyman by pairing a collection of contemporary works arranged for the consort alongside music by Henry Purcell. Follow the link in the show notes to pre-order or, if you're listening after the 22nd of March, to purchase the album. This podcast was recorded at the Queen Elizabeth Hall in late February 2019 and features Fretworks artistic director Richard Boothby and early music fan Kieran Cooper. Um, sir, can you tell me who you are and why you're here, please? Uh, well, I'm Richard Boothby and I'm uh, one of the founder members of Fretwork and I still play with the group even after 30-something years uh, and um, I'm here to promote our latest disc which is um, a disc of celebrating Michael Nyman's 75th birthday year with Yeslin Davis and Fretwork. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, having looked at your, your biog on your website, you were the proud owner of a very fine beard in the 70s, is oh, that right? God, yes, those it were was days. a fantastic I, beard. It was a lot of, there was a lot of beard and I had a lot of hair in those days. And, and, and presumably a lot of work. <laughs> was it a lot of no I don't mean no, work, a lot no, of paid work I mean, you mean, a lot a work looking work. after no 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 that was absolutely hippie beard I mean in other words just let it all hang out you know it was sort of I never I never did anything with it I mean and I remember I remember other people with beards you know with very very crafted beards and I remember looking down my nose at them and thinking I won't mention any names but uh, John Holloway should be ashamed of himself <laughs> right and yet you have um, why did you look down your nose at them well, because I mean, were you envious? No, it was just because they were paying attention to themselves in a kind of vain kind oh, okay. of way, and I was being authentic and real, and, <laughs> and you know, more like a caveman in, in essence. I feel, I, I feel as though I've really got to know you. <laughs> more like a stereotypical early music player. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I did, did you wear sandals? sandals? I did have sandals, but oh, I did didn't you? wear socks underneath them. That's the main thing. Well, yeah, but you had sandals. Yes. <laughs> I mean, really, I still I'm sorry. Have sand- I'm sorry, I still have sandals. Do you do you wear them where you when you play? Uh, if, <laughs> if I could, I would put it that way. Yes. Right. 
Uh, thank you very much. Uh, sir, please, who are you and why are you here? Well, yeah, I, well know. I know why you're here. But... <laughs> I'm Kieran Cooper. I'm uh, a Fretworks fan, an early music fan, uh, and a mate of yours. Yes. Why don't we explain to Richard how we sort of know each other? I mean, we do know each other, obviously. You're not, you're not a random person. How is it? How is we it both we worked at Alborough at different oh. times. I, um, John started after I left. Uh, my first job uh, uh, after university was as marketing assistant and then marketing manager at the Alborough Festival. Oh, really? um, and John started not long after I left, I think, and our yes. paths have crossed on and off. As a result of not working together. Yes, exactly. We've become great friends. <laughs> really, really nice thing. The weird thing, I was, I was thinking about this yesterday, uh, that I remember working at Oldborough and everybody speaking about you in hallowed terms uh, as though, you know, they had lost you or misplaced you. <laughs> and, and, and if only everybody else could be like Kieran, then everything would be okay. I don't know whether I've told you that before. I don't know whether that makes you feel oh, uncomfortable. very nice. If, if they paid me more than 9,000 a year. Oh, you've got 9,000? <laughs> wow. Okay, we've really, we've really touched a nerve <laughs> so soon. Um, tell us about... Uh, tell us about this new release, which is quite unusual for fretwork, is it not? Um, uh, I, well, I mean, all discs are unusual in, in the, yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's unusual in that it's mostly Michael Nyman, and uh, it was quite hard for us to assemble enough music for uh, by Michael Nyman for vials to, for, to to make a whole disc of it. Um, because he wrote us a piece uh, back in the 90s called uh, The Self-Laudatory Hymn of Inanna and Her Omnipotence. And then I arranged a few pieces uh, that he that he'd written uh, for us, uh, he, not for us, but um, I arranged them for us. And then I noticed a few years ago that he'd written another piece for Cantonese Vials, this for a, this time for a French ensemble. And I thought, oh, that's that's useful. And um, and then I uh, and then I realised that it was Michael's seventy fifth birthday this year. And I thought, whoa, well, this is this is. We must celebrate this, and so all those things came together, and we had just about a, a disc. And I thought, well, if we, could, if we can add a few personal songs to that, we're, we're home and dry. And 
so it came about. And of course, we, w- we worked with Yes in a few few times over the years, and he's just absolutely the best. And um, so uh, it, was, it was a it was an obvious thing that it had to be Yes in to do it, and um, so it was. Yeah. Um, have you heard it, Kieran? Tell me about it. Have you heard if? Yes, yes, yes. You sent me the Spotify link yesterday. Describe it, please. Wow. Um, and then I'll have a go. <laughs> having just heard um, Agnarton at ENO this week, oh, wow. it's, yeah. a, it's a quite similar sort of sound world, obviously, because yeah. that's big countertenor solo as well. But it's mm. So it, it hasn't got the same sort of minimalist um, texture, but, but there is... There are elements um, of Yes, that, and, yeah. and mm. so it's got that ethereal quality, both of the music and of the tune itself, mm. but of the, the um, um, countertenor and texture, of, texture. Uh, of voice and violence. Yeah, yes. mm. and it's so, it's really mm. beautiful and, and um, sort of fragile, which I mm. guess is, is, you know what I mean? Um, yes, there's a fragility to mm. the countertenor voice, which yes. is part of its appeal, I think. But yes. which also goes quite well with the, with the viol sound, mm. which is not... Um, Beefy, no, um, and and so yeah, it goes really well together, and it's just two or three minutes of perfection. There's a fragility about it. There's a there's a brittleness to the combination of the instruments and the voices. Uh, can you tell us what vials are? Actually, I've I, I really I've not covered the noddy question. Okay, yeah. yet. So, so, well, the simple the simple way to describe vials are, are, are bowed guitars, in essence. Um, they're, they're very similar to guitars. They're, 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 they've got a common ancestor with the guitars: six strings, frets, flat back, that sort of thing. But with the crucial addition of a bridge, a rounded bridge, which means you can play just one string rather than all six. And it's tuned very similar to a guitar, not quite the same, but, but very similar. So there's, there's a lot of affinity with, with guitars. Um, but there's a whole family of instruments, so the, the, there's a little one, a middle, middle-sized one, and a big one. And uh, they come, you know, the, you, any combination of those, those three sizes uh, is, was used in 16th, 17th centuries. And um, and then we've been, uh, you know, so so those are vials, yeah. So you've worked with, yeah. I mean, you played vials all of your career. Yeah, yeah. I, I played cello um, initially when I was a kid, and mo- mo- many vial players are, are ex cellists or current cellists as well. You know, um, a lot of people play both, but um, there's a lot of people who play who have played guitar come to the, to the to the viol as well. Violinists, recorder players. You know everybody. Look, uh, there's quite a quite a sort of breed of our players who have never played anything other than the viol before. You know that's quite that's quite something. You know. What's the? Uh, I suppose for me the thing that I'm fascinated by is 
what was the attraction? I mean, I, I realise that question is loaded with judgement, but uh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, and that's perfectly a reasonable. Because question. it's quite, you know, it's a, it's very niche. It's a niche it? it seems terribly so, niche. But actually, the reality is, it's got a massive repertory. I mean, you know, the, the baroque cello is, is is scrambling around for tiny little bits of music here and there. So you're not a baroque cello. No, we're not a baroque cello. Okay. Uh, uh, the cello four, a... it's got four strings. We've got six. It hasn't got frets. Right. We've got <laughs> we've got frets. So, I mean, we're, we're just better in every way. I okay, mean, fine. Really... Yeah, okay. You really are a competitive man. <laughs> fine. <laughs> He's got some issues. No, no, no. I mean, it's got a it's got a massive repertory. I mean, you know, tons of music. More than we can play. Uh, you know, you, I, you can't. We can't describe how big it is. It's just, it's just enormous. So and why is that then? I'm now interviewing you. That wasn't the point. But oh, you know, can, oh, let's carry on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but what? But why is there more repertory for, for that? Not Baroque well, because cello? because the, um, I mean, the violins started playing uh, seriously in the beginning of the 16th century, and they had a, a century and a half before the cello really started. So we've got we've got uh, 150 years of, of viol music. Before there were any, there was any cello music. It's only by the time you get to, uh, well, the end of the 18th, the end of the 17th century, that you get any solo cello music at all, really. And then you get, a, you know, get Bach and you get Vivaldi, and then you get Boccherini, and you're into classical music, and then the viol bows out, and then the cello starts its its glory days, you know. But um, but the viol, and but that's just for solo instruments. I mean, when we talk about ensemble music, then you've got. You've got shelves of it, you know, which... Uh, I mean, we've been playing for 30 years and we've probably played, hmm, I don't know, 30, 40% of the, of the music. I mean, this, we've got, you know, tons to, to really even explore, you know. And I think, a, a bit like singing, um, it, it had... The, the viol was... Um, playing the viol was very widespread, um, mm. in, it was not just a courtly thing or a sort of professional thing. It no, was no, very absolutely. Much an, um, yeah, you know the thing that an educated person would do well, like might do. with their friends. And it's still the case. I mean, there's there's tons of um, amateur bar players because it's an instrument that's very easy to pick up. You've got frets, you know, and the great music for it is very simple. It's all minims and crotchets. You know, there's nothing. I mean, when you when you play. If you play, take up the violin, it, first of all, it takes you about 10 years before you can make a, yes. a reasonable yep. sound on it in tune. And then you've got string quartets, which will take you another 10 years to be able to play because mm. they're so bloody hard, you know. <laughs> Whereas well, console music is very, very easy, you know, but it's great music. It doesn't have to be hard to be great, you know. Uh, it's, uh, and it fits in well with with singing and with other instruments yes, as well so you yeah. can do it's a very sociable thing to do you know you get, you get um, uh, amateur bar players they, they come together any number two, three, four, five, six, even seven and you can spend a day playing through this lovely music you know it's a very very sociable thing to do very nice you, I'm struck by how you haven't actually answered the question. Oh, have I? What was, what was the question? <laughs> the, question <laughs> the question was actually what attracted you. Oh, what attracted me? Well, because because it is niche. Yeah. yeah. You know what? What made you go? I'm playing that. Well, yeah. Well, I was at university, and um, I was uh, I was uh, my 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 thesis was on Wagner, uh, as, wow. as as you might imagine. Okay. And um, the guy who taught me about Wagner, uh, David Fallows, was also the sort of early music guy, and he he just arrived in the university, and he got a whole set of vials, and he, because he knew I played the cello, he said, "Look, play that," you know. And so I started, and we started playing consorts very very soon after we just sort of learn to play to get around the instruments and um, 
it was Vile Consorts that really got me going. I thought it was just wonderful to be part of this texture. It was fabulous. And, uh, yeah, that's what, that's what really got me into it. And what is that texture? Well, it's very intense and very dense. Um, uh, it's very... Um, uh, it's polyphonic, so all the parts are equal, uh, in essence. And so everything you play really is important. It's, you know, it's, it's really part of the music uh, in, in an essential kind of way. If you play in an orchestra... You play a cello in the orchestra, and you're sort of eighth cello out of twelve, or whatever it is. You know, if you start playing, or if you play something completely different, it doesn't really make that much difference. You know, if you start playing folk tunes in the middle of the Rite of Spring, no, no one's going to notice. You know? <laughs> um, whereas if you start, start doing that in the middle of a concert, yes, people will notice that. You know? So, uh, so it, there's something sort of really intense about it, I, I, and it's serious music, and I, I really, it really. Uh, spoke to me. Yeah, that's, that's that's what that's what made me go. It makes it makes it a a bonding experience in yeah. a way. But you know, if everybody is equal and uh, they're all contribute, you know, their their contribution is is necessary and really important. Then that that presumably results in quite close relationships yeah. with or close bonds with other players. Well, you absolutely rely on everyone else uh, to get you through the piece. You know, you can't if if someone. I mean, as frequently happens, I have to say, or well, frequently happened, not so much now. But I mean, when people when people get lost, uh, and it's quite common for people to get lost in the music because it's very complex. And uh, if you if you miscount your rest, or if you play play the rhythm wrong, you get lost. And and there's it's not an, it's not obvious where to get how to get back in. Um, if someone gets lost, then it throws everything everyone else because everyone else is relying on their bit to to make sense of their own bit, you know. So it only works when everybody is, you know, locked together like that. And when it, when they are locked together like that is fantastic. There's an incredible sense of unity, you know, like the, uh, a, uh, certainly greater than some of its parts, sort of thing, you know. So you and this is what really fascinates me about um, vowel consorts and, and about vocal consorts as well. Mm, the, yes. the, the way exactly that sort of um, uh, intertwining and, and reliance, but also how soloistic 
um, you can be and need to be yes. in that because you can't play as if you were one of many. Yes. Um, you you have to own your line. Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, and and yeah, exactly. You need to be able to to. To, I mean, there's a lot of judgment involved in playing your part. When do you come out? When do you sing out your part? When do you disappear a bit, you know, because it's not so interesting? A um, lot of tussling going on between between voices, you know, arguments and resolutions and um, a lot of arguments within the group, I have to say. I mean, when we started, I mean, God, it was endless arguments. I mean, it was just sort of... Um, You're here to promote. Oh, sorry, are, are sorry, sorry. Yes. Is that not the point? All being resolved. Well, no, that was, a, that was one of the things that made it, you know, out of that process. Yes, came that, that yes, I mean, uh, yeah, light came out of... Uh, there was a lot of heat, and, uh, 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 but light as well, you know. I mean, What were you arguing about? I mean, I understand the point that you make. No, no. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it wasn't fisticuffs or indeed I can't stand you or that or that. Well, I mean, it, it, it did get quite quite intense. So, yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, we, we, it was, was it, it about practice? Was it, it was about um, how we did it, you know, whether whether we should phrase it like this or like that. Whether we, I mean, or that, or at least that's on the surface of the argument. On the, on the deeper level, we were arguing... Uh, it was a sort of personality clash. And that... The, but that... You know, that, that informed... I mean, if we hadn't gone through all that, our argument, we wouldn't have really understood why and how we were doing it um, uh, uh, like we do. Uh, you know, I, I think that was really necessary. And I think if... I mean, some, some, some ensembles, for example, have directors, you know, who, who say, right, it's going to be like this. You know, no arguments, no questioning, shut up, do what I tell you, you know. And... and that I think that's a very quick way of of sorting music out. You know, you can definitely get things together much more quickly like that. But it it doesn't help ultimately um, illuminate what the music is because it's it's imposed rather than it doesn't arise out of the out of the group in that sense. Am I right in thinking it was at the when fretwork started? I may not get my dates quite right, but <clears throat> did did fretwork come into being around about the time that historical uh, authentic performance or historically informed performance, that, that movement began? No, no, we were uh, well... You were know, you before that? Oh god, when did, that, when did historical performance historical performance be- really began probably about 1830 I mean, oh, we're okay, not okay, quite okay. that old no, you know? no, I'm not <laughs> suggesting you're that old I mean, in my memory, there, there was a resurgence yeah, in yeah. historical informed performance or however we're terming it I'm still not clear yeah um and that that was in the uh, my memory is it was in the early 90s but I could be completely no no I mean David Munro was was a sort of very big thing in the in the late 60s early 70s I can remember him remember when I was at university when he when he died actually I remember remember that he was very very important very but but, I mean yeah there are people before him as well you know you trace it back it goes it goes Back, I mean, I'm not joking. It does go back to about 1835. But I just, I ask because I wonder whether that, but you went through that phase, that sort of quite intense phase in exploring how to tackle this particular music because few people before had, well, because that practice hadn't been documented and yeah. you were perhaps doing it for the first time. Well, I mean, when we, I mean, the reason why we started the group and when we started, started it because because Vile Console Music had a really bad reputation as being, um, you know, uh, 
to, to put a not to put too fine upon it, dolmetrified. You know, it was it was it was amateur. It was out of tune. It was not well together. It wasn't presented well. It, it, they were players who couldn't really play their instrument, and that was the impression that the public got of it. And we thought this music is, you know, can be can be played better than that, and it can be presented better. And that was our job was to was to do that, you know. Uh, or at least we, that's what we decided our job was. <laughs> Nobody else told us about it, but we decided that that was it. <laughs> Kieran, you're nodding in a way that makes me think that you completely agree. Or you? No, I, absolutely. I think um, there was. It was about that time that that a big shift from um, uh, early instruments, original instruments, being um, kind of laughed at. Yes. And, and having this this reputation of being a, a very good idea in theory and really not very nice in practice, yes. <laughs> um, uh, to um, a sort of professionalisation of it, people thinking, well, actually, it 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 surely doesn't. If this instrument is is how it, how it should be, it shouldn't be sounding worse than yes. <laughs> um, you know than than a modern instrument. Yeah. And when we play music that was written for it. It shouldn't sound bad. Yeah. And if you start from that point to think, well, okay, so what is it about our playing that is yeah, making yeah, what, what it sound is, like Yeah, that? absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. You know. So you remember that transition from? Um, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I went to university at the beginning of the nineties, and um, and even though I was at Leeds and Rich, with Richard Rastel, that um, yes, yes. managed to avoid a lot of the early music stuff right. that he was doing <laughs> at the time. I discovered the university had a vial console, a console of vials, but only after I'd left. Yes. Annoyingly. <laughs> um, Many so do. you were an early music fan then? Well, no, it's not. Well, a little bit, yeah. Not but that I'm but, accusing but you, it was but no. And I, I was saying it was it was um, still quite uh, looked down on uh, by other music students and and you know the people who uh, who did play um, vials with Richard were were not very well um, looked at uh, by other students and and I, I definitely missed an opportunity to do that. But I think but I saw. Um, once I started working at Albra and then, you know, seeing more of the concert promoting the concerts that were going on, I think you could see the kind of um, orchestras and uh, ensembles that were that were picking up this idea, and and so it became from original instruments into historically informed performance, mm. um, where the the the, the sort of um, you don't have to play early music on on original instruments in order for it to be early music. That that sort of came yes, I remember there being thing. extensive discussions around authenticity and, and who was right and who was wrong and, oh, yes. and who should Still be shot is. between the oh, eyes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and if there weren't those kind of um, discussions, then it would be terribly boring. You know, what do boring. you think? What do you both think contributed to that shift? Because I hadn't appreciated that there had been a transition from the early 80s to when I worked at Albright in 97. So clearly that, that transition had happened quite quickly. Yeah, by 97, yeah, that was, that was well... Because there was a Baroque... There was a Baroque. Fe- there was an Easter Baroque festival. Well, yes, and and the Britain yeah. Pears Orchestra started yeah. having a, a, a training orchestra for. Yeah. for um, I mean, if that was for Baroque um, players, rather and it than wasn't. I have to say, it was a nightmare to book players for because there weren't. There were so there few, weren't. Yeah. There weren't very many. Well, and, yeah. and anyone who was any good was already was already busy, being paid. paid. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, here was um, and and I was earning less than you were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but what what contributed to that transition? Do you think? Well, I think a lot of players, um, a lot of students, um, uh, my, my time in my time, uh, went abroad to study, um, and we went to study with the great, the great players on the continent. It was on the continent where all the, 
the higher standards were. You know, you had Nicolas Anencourt, who I studied with in Salzburg with Concentus Musicus, and Leonard in, in Amsterdam in The Hague, um, Wieland Kuyken in, in, in Brussels, Jordi Saval uh, in, in Basel. And these were people the, who, with whom a lot of the players went to study, and then they came back, and, you know, they came back fired up with zeal to, to do it much better than it had been done, and the standards just kept on rising, you know. Um, uh, so, I mean, it was... Uh, well, the AOE was um, was founded in the same year that we were, so '86, I think, seem to remember. Mm. So, uh, you know, th- th- and they, th- they're, they're, that was their mission was was to raise standards as high as possible, and th- and they were, so they started flying off in the '90s as well. So, um, yeah, so I think it was it was a sort of mid '80s. There was quite a lot of groups founded in the in the '80s, mid '80s. Um, I think um, uh, when was Fagellini's founded? Uh, that then, was '86. Yeah, same yeah. year as us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was there was quite a lot of people, young people who were young and you know full of full of energy and and now we're all old and grey and, and burnt out and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's looking for a stroke. You need to need to have well, quickly, I think quickly. <laughs> I'm disagreeing with all of that, but but having one's heels snapped at by by yep. younger yeah. the, the younger generation um, who are you know keen to to be there. They're not. I don't get the feeling that they want to sort of overthrow the, the old guard. Um, no, no. I, but I think that you don't have the stage to yourself. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's something we, we had to get had to get used to. Is that is that whereas before, you know, there was we there was very very little competition. Now that now there is some competition. That's great. That's good. Keep it. Is there anywhere else to go? That's that's, oh, yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm asking. There's, I mean, there's there's lots of. I don't, I don't, I'm sure that there's sort of groups doing it in a, a different different kind of way. But there, but there are um, a lot of performers uh, making discoveries and new and making and pushing off in new directions. And say, I mean, someone like. Um, or, um, um, uh, Ollie Weber, for example, with his uh, Monteverdi band, you know, they're very, very keen on getting the string strings right, getting the the instruments right, and and uh, you know, just doing a lot of research into into all sorts of techniques. And it's sort of it's it's not sort of big changes now. It's sort of more fine tuning things, you know, tweaking this, that, and the other, you know. Which um, but as you say, um, there's still a massive amount of repertoire. 
yeah. um, in all of these early music fields that that hasn't been both stuff that hasn't been dis- um, you know played much, but also new interpretations of it. You yeah, know, they, exactly. Yeah, we think we know Purcell, but there's tons and tons of stuff yeah. that hardly anybody ever does, and, and you know which yeah. is really uh, ripe for for someone to look at. Yeah, yeah, um, I've you know, Your yeah. recent disc. Um, you know, was very well received in doing exactly that. Thinking, yeah. this is stuff we've known about, yeah. um, but nobody much has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I think you know, there, there's such a, a rich um, seam still to be mined that that people don't necessarily need to be going off and looking for, mm. you know, new new discoveries. There didn't need to be a new gold rush mm. yet. Okay. Um, what work are you having to do? I mean, is it a scholarly approach that you have to adopt in yeah. order to Create or in order to play the music that you play. Well, yeah, I mean, there's this, there's a constant, um, there's a constant dialogue going on between researchers, academics, and performers, and people uh, investigating things. Strings, in particular, are, are a sort of a big, big, big issue, um, and instrument setups. On the one on the one side, I mean, for example, our our our, um, our project, which um, Bill Hunt has been involved in, called Chains of Gold, where we've been doing um, uh, uh, English verse anthems, uh, and we've been doing them at at the original original keys and a much higher pitch than is than is normal, and that's a that's a, been a revelation with with single single voices for the most part. And we've rescued this, rescued, we've, we've uh, rested this repertoire, which is sitting in cathedral and collegiate choirs, doing even songs every, every now and then, uh, in a very sort of slightly fuzzy kind of way. And we've, uh, I hope we've injected it with a kind of new kind of energy. And because, uh, you know, you, you, you investigate uh, the, the original keys suggest completely different voice types than we've got than we've got nowadays in choirs SATB doesn't fit um, so you need to have a, a altogether different types of voice you need high tenors doing what's called the countertenor parts so they're if you but if you do it at, at a high pitch but with high tenors singing singing high in their register rather than countertenors singing low in their in mm-hmm. their register mm-hmm. you get a completely different texture and so that's that's a that's that's an example of research looking at looking at the original music and saying well, how was this performed you know what voices were, what pitch was it at you know and it's exactly that kind of revelation i listened to this is the record of john um, yes. the, the gibbons piece last night um, and it it never sounds good when it's sung by a countertenor, particularly yeah. a cathedral countertenor, because as you say, it's very low. It's got um, lots of leaps, um, you know, around the, the around the break, yes, around yes. the break that and never sound good. And, and you know, countertenors are always joking about yes, yes. how bad it sounds. And yet, when you do it up with with um, with a, a high tenor, suddenly it makes sense. Suddenly, it's, like, it's, yeah. it's vibrant and it's got it's got meaning and it's got passion and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that that kind of thing of saying, well. Um, we don't have to be discovering new music or, or, you know, doing things that nobody else has ever done. Let's just look at the things, even the things we know about now, yeah, and exactly. see are there better ways of doing it. Um, yeah. And yeah. and if you can do that, going back to um, the source as as you've done yeah. Gibbons and say, you know, well, let's think about pictures and instruments and voices. And, yeah. Um, it can 
yeah, it can be, as I say, a real revelation, even to, to pieces that are well known. Yeah, but the other the other side, I mean, uh, going back to the disc that we're, we're, we're supposed to be talking about, is is, uh, is commissioning new music, which um, which a lot of groups are doing now, um, which which we've been doing since. Ooh, 1990, 1989, or yes. something, with with George Benjamin and so on, and um, and John. Well, you didn't. Com- did you commission John Tavener? Or yeah, we did. did yeah, 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 yes, that, Tavener. I mean, um, we've we've got up over fifty pieces uh, that we've um, commissioned over the years. And um, why? Uh, why? Yes. Why would you do that? Well, That's we, not to say that you shouldn't have done. No. But, but mm, good, good question. I mean, we did. We didn't. It wasn't us that that did it. It was George Benjamin came to us first of all in 1989, <laughs> and he'd heard our first disc, and he thought, "Well, this is interesting." And I went along and I demonstrated the instrument to him, and he wrote us an extraordinary piece. Um, and and we thought, "Wow, well, you know, this is something we never thought of. Absolutely no idea. None of us had done either any or." hardly any contemporary music, uh, even when we play cello or, 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 or normal instruments. So this was, this was a completely different skill, and it took us a long time to get to, get to sort of, you know, to get to terms with it. Particularly with George Benjamin, because he's an incredibly exacting composer. I mean, he's got an ear like, you know, you, you can't get away with anything, you know, absolutely nothing. And we were, we were sort of, you know, hit by a freight train when we were trying to rehearse with, you know, because... We thought we thought we were good, and uh, he, he, he revealed that we weren't. <laughs> and, uh, well, just, there were some areas for development. Areas let's for it, development. Let, let's put know, it like that, like, early, rather than <laughs> like all areas. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, no. It was it was really quite a quite a, a shock, and it took us a long time to 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 to, uh, to be able to play his piece. Uh, but then, and then, you know, that from then on, we, we realised this was a this was a very important area for us uh, because. I mean, all, all we were talking about the, 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 the earlier repertoire, it is very confined, you know. Uh, it starts in about 1520 and it finishes in uh, the 31st of August, 1680, and that's it, really. And uh, if we hadn't had contemporary music to... Um, well, it, it offers a completely different perspective on the viol, a different perspective on the, on the earlier music as well, so that, so that we can now... And we mostly do programs involving both contemporary and and early music, you know. So that is great. I mean, that's great for the audience because it it, it just changes the the perspective, the context of the music. You mentioned earlier on that uh, the original music was uh, everybody everybody contributed to say, or that, that everybody was as important as yes. everyone else. Uh, I wonder what differences there are with contemporary music, the music that is written for uh, yes. today. Well, curious enough, actually, it's rather similar. It's rather similar in that respect. I mean, for the most part, uh, all the parts are... Of course, I mean, it's difficult to generalise yeah. because, I mean, there's a huge variety of, of, of things. But, um, yes, yeah, rather similar in that respect... Uh, I mean, it's only really when you get the, you know, when you look at, when you contrast it with the string quartets of Haydn and Mozart and Beethoven, where the, you know, the violin part, top violin part, has most of the material and the rest, the rest have accompaniment, you know. Um, but uh, the contemporary music is, it requires very different skills, but uh, it's, it's got the same sort of um, importance to every part. In, 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 as the earlier records were. So, um, so, so we feel at home with that. The way you talk about it makes me think of the vial almost like a human voice. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, as distinct from a violin, a viola, or a cello. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know whether that's whether there's anything in that or oh, whether, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people. Uh, well, I mean, and uh, maybe that accounts for the blend. Actually, the the, the blend. terrific blending between Yeston's voice and yeah. uh, in in if because that was that was the striking thing for me that it yeah. almost almost softened uh, the counter tenor voice and created one complete thing. Yeah, that sounds terribly poncy, but 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 um, <laughs> I, uh, fine, great. Yeah. That's that's a relief. <laughs> um, but maybe there's something in that. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I mean, a lot, a lot of um, uh, 16th century vocal music, for example, was is absolutely transferable from voice to viol, viol to voice. Uh, no, I mean, there's a, there's a big book of um, of music from the late 16th century English book, and it says a, a, a book of solfying songs um, apt for voices and viols, and um, so solfying, the, the, all the music has got no text in it, so. What, what singers would have done would have taken this music and solemnised it, you know, outre, mi, va, sol, la. Oh, you know. okay. So right, they, wouldn't right, have, right. they wouldn't have invented words. They just used solemnisation to do it. And likewise, vocal music, bar players would have just picked up and played. Which is that, so that, that process is essentially announcing what note it is that they're singing. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. I'm singing. You know, I'm singing C. I'm singing yeah. D. I'm yeah. singing right. Exactly. Okay. So it's, 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 instead of singing C, D, E, F, G, you yes. sing Utre, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, and so when, coming, coming back to this contemporary music, um, I mean, for instance, one of the pieces that I, I arranged from Michael Nimer was called Balancing the Books, and that was written for Swingle. And and that fitted very nicely to the vials because it was vocal music the ranges are just right for for, for vials um, and it works very well you know, uh, it sounds very instrumental when it's played by instruments and I'm sure it sounds very vocal when it's when it's uh, sung by Swingle you know. again you're nodding in that way that says that you know it and you like it no I don't know that yeah. piece but I, I think there's, that's one of the really interesting things about um, uh, these early instruments is the way that they they blend well with the voice so obviously the files but also things like cornets and sackbuts when you hear those yeah, together yeah. with voices um, you know the, you can hardly tell where one starts and one finishes Gibbons disc and the, the new one you've just yeah, done. Yeah, Chains of Gold. Yeah. yeah, and how have you found that to, as an experience? Has it been 
Has it brought new people in who you haven't necessarily interacted with before? And well, I have to say, I, it's not something I've been doing. Uh, it's, the, the, the Chains of Gold projects has been Bill Hunt's um, baby. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he, Bill, Bill was a founder member of the group. He left um, oh, a decade or so ago. Um, but he's, you know, we, he's, we still remain close, and he often comes back, back to play with us. So, so this project was, was, was his his brainchild and uh, he's been doing the crowdfunding and I was I was thinking mm, well I'd rather him than me you know frankly <laughs> because because it's quite a it's quite an effort to, to you've got to produce a video you've got to you know really you've got to really go for it in order to, to make it work um, but it's been tremendously successful I mean he's raised quite a lot of money that way mm -hmm. and um, so I think we'll, we'll the, the group itself will have a look at that next next time we're we, we need to raise some money for a, for how a does, British. How does that help you as a group, that fundraising? Uh, well, what does it enable you to do? That's well, I mean, the, the thing is that uh, particularly these chains of gold things are, are very expensive projects to get to put together because you've got, well, the last one was t uh, 10 singers and then uh, His, uh, Her Majesty's uh, Sackbuts and Cornets and us. So there's a lot of people involved. And I think the budget was something like 40k for the last disc, so so that's quite a lot of dosh wow. to to raise. And um, of course, record companies can't just write checks like that anymore, like they used to. And so you seek sponsorship and crowdfunding, and you know all sorts of uh, any anything, anything, sell your soul to the to the devil in order to to make it make it happen. You're so only painting a positive picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, because. Yeah. But that's, that's despite the fact that there is still a market for um, for CDs and they are um, still mm. selling and they're, they're not. No, it hasn't died entirely. But uh, but certainly, yeah, the, the funding-wise, most most groups have to um, pay for the entire project as far as master entirely themselves yeah. and then license it to a, a label um, if they're lucky. Yeah. So you know that's that's not some of the labels are still actually paying. Um, fees towards things. Some will give you an advance on royalties um, towards it to help offset some of the costs. But, yeah, but yeah. largely, groups are having to fund them entirely themselves. Yeah. So that forty thousand would would have come from solely crowdfunding, or from a mixture of crowdfunding and sponsorship. And sponsorship and crowdfunding, yes, and and possibly some from the from the. I, I'm not part party to how that how that works um, on that one, but I, I I know how other discs. I mean, uh, we. More when, when it's just us, when it's just fretwork without singers and all that sort of thing, um, we can we we have been fortunate in in there's been a number of um, sponsors who've funded the whole disc for us, you know, and um, that's that's great. That that really um, uh, makes it makes it possible. Um, uh, and then sometimes the the record company uh, covers the costs of the recording. I mean, um, Signum has covered the cost of the um, uh, if if for this one, for example. Because um, it, it's liable to, to do well, I think uh, it's uh, you know prominent names, Yestin and, and uh, Michael Hyman and and us. So um, and it's accessible. Yes, I can see how it would appeal to a large number of different audiences yeah. who may come to fretwork fresh. Yes, and I think that the combination is something that, that people will be excited by. I think uh, you know, I think Mike, Michael Nyman's, uh, you know, fantastically accessible composer, and uh, and uh, uh, you know, very prominent one because of his film work. And um, uh, uh, and I think the um, I think there's a lot. Yestin's got a tremendous following. Mm. 
And I think all that will come together uh, very well, I hope. Can't wait to hear it. Yes, indeed. See a television program? Are you not? <laughs> I think you need to reveal where you're going <laughs> I might next. Possibly be going just to the, a screening, a filming, a of screening, Graham, a screening <laughs> of the Graham Norton a filming show. Filming of Graham Norton show tonight. <laughs> wow, Kieran Cooper has a, a range of interests, and also I have to say, I meant to mention this earlier. You have smashing shoes. On. Great shoes for radio. Where did you get those shoes? My goodness, I shall, uh, they, they come from a, a, a Czech website. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it's on the dark um, web, is it? <laughs> They are smashing, aren't they? Thank you. Um, and pink socks too, which I wouldn't normally... I'd, I'd fear pink socks. Well, there you are. Yes. But, you know, you're, you're very bold, Kieran. <laughs> you put your glasses on now. Yes. <laughs> I want to see what's going on down there. You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, available on Spotify, iTunes and Audioboom. To get in touch, tweet at Thoroughly Good, leave a message on the Thoroughly Good Facebook page, or email john.jacob at thoroughlygood.me.